if you're a visitor here today, um, it's a little bit different this morning. Uh, today is the exact day, 15 years ago, that I was hired as a pastor here in this church. And uh, so it's been 15 years, uh, September 1st, 1998. Uh, I did the math a few times, and it is 15 years. Um, and so God has been incredibly faithful. And so we want to just take this morning uh, just to share some of our stories but the theme of this morning is God's faithfulness. This is not about Ike and Maria, but it's a little way for us to say, here's how God has been faithful in our lives and in also through you and, and just to share our story together. Uh, Fifteen years ago, I started as a total rookie youth pastor. I, had come, I came straight out of college. I had zero experience other than as a volunteer at a few different places, um, but I'd never been a youth pastor before, and so... Um, you know, this is the first picture of me um, in my youth ministry work, uh, dressed as a clown. I don't know, appropriate, I think. But I think within the first few months that I was here, the first month that I was here, Maria was down, and so she threw me this little, she threw me this little party. And, and so this is, uh, this is my first photo memory of me being a youth pastor. Woo! You know? It was a circus. It was a circus, and it has been one since. But um, I started off as a... As, you know, someone who had no ministry experience as far as paid, and I, I came in right as the guy by the name of Dave Penner was, who was retiring after years and years of ministry experience. And so I had a couple of months with him to just, you know, learn as much as I could in those first few months, and I am very appreciative of Dave. Man, he spent a lot of time just coaching me in those few months that he had, and also many other leaders uh, in the years since. Maria and I were not married when I started here. Um, I was engaged. I remember very clearly uh, the search team looking at me, so you're planning on marrying this girl, right? And I was like, yeah. And I think they were more like, because we're not hiring you unless you bring her in. You know, um, I think that was something that was pretty big. And so um, we started, I started here without Maria as my wife. We were engaged. And so we had our own stress. She was over in uh, Winnipeg still. She was finishing a communication degree, which was uh, three years of school in two years. And so she was really stressed out. And so very often when we would call each other, all we really did was talk about how horrible things were going. Because my first, my first year here was pretty rough because I didn't know what I was doing. And some of you poor suckers had to sit through that. I still have a tape of my very first sermon that I preached here. I'm sorry that you had to listen to that. Um, some of you sat through that. I apologize. Um, I listened to that sermon not too long ago, you know, and I'm like, never will I listen to it again because that's just hard to hear. But uh, anyway, uh, you learn and you grow, and so that's what God has been doing. God provided in that first year, God provided amazing leaders, and there's been many more amazing leaders since. But in my first year, I had two couples that were just a life support for me, Dave and Lorraine Dyke, and Jake and Tina Neufeld. And these, these people, man, they would so graciously come around me every now and then and say, you just, you just can't punch kids. You know, when you get mad at them, you can't hit them like that. You know, leave the, leave the sticks at home. I'm kidding. But um, they would come around very often and just say, hey, you know, you're doing okay, and try this again, let's do this again. And, you know, and, and Jake was so good. Um, when he, he knew as a paid pastor I couldn't hit kids, so he would do it for me. Um, <laughs> I love you, Jake. Um, I remember one time in this bus, sorry, a little rabbit trail. I was on this bus trip to Manitoba, and there's these kids, and you're in the crowd, so forgive me for sharing your story. And there's these kids just being total doofuses. And, um, and finally, um, 
Jake looked at me. He's like, what are you going to do about it? I said, I've been back there a few times. Nothing I can do about it. And uh, all of a sudden, he's like, do you mind if I try? I'm like, Go ahead. And Jake went back there. And I, I just heard screaming, you know. And he picked out one that was his cousin, I think, or something like that. And he's just torturing this kid. And I, it, it killed all the, the conflict. And so some of you are worried now, like, maybe we should have gone along on these trips a little bit more. But um, I made a lot of rookie mistakes, a lot of rookie mistakes. But God was growing in me a love for youth ministry. He was growing in me a love for him during these times. I remember the year before I started, I stood up at a conference, and I've shared this story with you before, but I stood up at a conference, and I made this commitment. I said, God, I will go wherever, whenever, however, whatever, whoever you have in plan. My obedience to you is complete, and I truly believe that there's been times I would have probably given up had it not been for that commitment that I made. Where there were times where things were really, really difficult, and we're going to talk about that in a little bit, but man, in those moments, I just sometimes, you know, I remember, you know, just being asked by Maria sometimes and by other people, like, hey, is this your plan or is this God's plan? Is this what you want or is this what God wants? And that would bring me back to this commitment. God, I will go wherever, whenever, however, whatever, whoever. I think I missed one, but that's okay. You know, and that's what held me very often. At my commissioning in 1998, Dave Penner used this verse. He read... First uh, Timothy chapter 4, verse 12, it says, Do not let anyone look down on you because you are young, but set an example for the believers in speech, in life, in love, in faith, and in purity. And this was a comfort for me because sometimes when you don't know what to say, how comforting to know all you have to do is set an example. Now, sometimes when you don't know what the right decisions are, that in that midst, all you can do is say, you know what, I don't really know what to do right now, but in that situation, I'm just going to do all I can to set an example. And I'm so thankful for God and how he has uh, grown us over the years. So 15 years ago, I was planning our wedding and thinking about leaving Winnipeg and what, what there was there for me. So my family and my church and my friends, really everything I'd grown up with. Uh, and thinking about starting a new life here. I prayed for God to give me a love for the people um, and that I wouldn't miss home too much and I wouldn't be too lonely. Uh, and he answered that prayer. He gave me a new family, new friends, a new church, and that's you. That, that became you. And I thank you for loving and accepting me. I have never felt anything but welcome here, and I hope that I now in turn can do that for other people who are new here uh, right from the beginning. And I hope you know that I love you back. There is a story of Ruth in the Bible um, where Ruth says the well-known lines, and most of you know these already, but... It said, she, Ruth said to her mother-in-law, where you go, I will go, and where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, and your God, my God. And that was a kind of a promise that I made before God to Ike, uh, and the Lord has helped me to keep this, and there's absolutely no regrets at all. I just, I really have enjoyed the last 15 years, and that's just an understatement. Um, even though sometimes people tease me that I speak with a Manitoban accent, and, and I say that people here speak with an American accent, because you say pants, and I say pants, right? The right way, I say pants. <laughs> and, <yeah. laughs> and you say van, let's go for a drive in the van, and I say van. Um, I still feel that this is my home. It, it, it has become my home. And I know that it's, it's God who's been faithful to answer my prayer for home. And in a very literal sense, God gave us a home just after we were married. He showed us to a house that was for sale by silent auction from the town. 
Uh, this is it. This is where we live still today with some improvements. Hmm. We know that in a very real way, God led us to our house. And he provided it and he gave us the opportunity to buy it at a price that we could afford, which wasn't much at the time. And we believe that he gave us that house so that we could do ministry for him. And so over the years, we've tried to keep our home open and hospitable to all. And while at the same time showing Jesus' love in our neighborhood, which most of you know, it can be a little bit of a difficult neighborhood. So we hope that we can shine Jesus' love there. Another area where we've seen just God being so faithful in our lives is through is safety. Um, we have gone on so many trips. I think of our van. Oh, man, the amount of kilometers we've put on that thing, lugging kids all over the place, and just so many different things like that where God has just provided safety over the years. Um, from my times as a, as a uh, youth pastor to today, um, we have never, and this is to the glory of God, we have never had a single kid seriously injured. Uh, and I just praise God for that. Uh, man, that is just not the case. You know, we've got stories sometimes and other, you hear stories where there's bus accidents. It's no one's fault. There's just a bus accident or there's just a freak accident at an event or something like that. Like, I, we've had kids get hurt, but not like seriously, seriously injured. And I'm just so thankful for that. Um, from taking our bus that we had, you saw the picture, Larry the Green Cucumber. Um, that was our bus. Uh, we took that bus a number of times to Manitoba. And I remember the last time we took that thing to Manitoba, it was, uh, it was barely roadworthy, you know. And if you don't know this bus, we put two massive propane tanks on this baby. Um, you wonder why. They were literally from here to you guys. Like, okay, that's maybe a little long, but, uh, you know. Um, they were, they, we could go 11 hours on these babies. And I remember when me and another guy went and picked them up in Chatham, and the guy looks at it and says, like, what are you guys heating with this thing, a house or something? Oh, no, we're running a bus. And uh, he looked at us and he goes, man, if someone T-bones you, uh, you're going to take out a whole city block. We'll be all right, you know. And we loaded these things up and almost blew ourselves up getting them to them. But I just want to say they were certified. They were put on by someone who knew what they were doing. And then it was certified through, all, you know, so I just, we didn't cut any corners. But we're taking this bus, and, you know, when there was hills, we could only do, like, 39 kilometers an hour because it was running on propane with 40-some kids on this thing. And we're driving through northern Manitoba, and, and someone said to me, they had gone to the front of the bus and said to the driver, hey, it's freezing back here. Uh, do you think we could turn the heaters back on? And the driver had been like, well, you see, they're electric heaters, and if I turn the heaters on, it's the middle of the night, uh, if I turn the heaters on, the alternator can't seem to keep up, and I have no lights. And... Um, so then I went up front because, well, what's going on here? And we still had no lights, even with the heaters off. But uh, again, God provided safety, and I'm so thankful for that. Um, we went to a lot of different camps, youth events, road trips, conferences, banquets, bonfires, mall hunts, coach in the city, lock-ins, all-nighters, mission trips, etc., etc. And in all of those things, God has kept us safe, and I am so, so thankful for that. Another area where God has provided safety, but in a very different way, and he's been so faithful in doing this, and that's in our own spiritual and uh, emotional protection. I just want to say this. In these 15 years, my wife and I have been completely faithful to each other the entire time. And not only in, you know, our relationship, but also in faithful to each other. And, you know, sometimes there's sensitive information that's shared with us. And we've not shared that with other people. Now, sometimes when people meet with me, and this has happened a number of times, where people will ask, are you going to tell your wife? 
You know, so if I meet with women, that's my policy. If I meet with a female, if Maria asks, so what would you talk about, I will tell everything. If I meet with a guy, well, it's a little different. It's kind of, well, it's none of your business. Um, if she meets with a woman, it's just none of my business to ask her, what you guys talk about? Because that's just the honor that we want to give to the people. Say, if you come and talk to one of us, we will protect that information. But if she would go talk to a guy, if some guy wanted to meet with her, I have the right, that's our little agreement between the two of us, I have the right to ask her, what did you talk about? And she will tell me everything that was talked about. And it's just been such a blessing for us to be able to say to people, when they look at you kind of like, wow, really? To say, I've been married to this woman all these years, I've been married to this man all these years, and he has never, she has never gossiped about anything that has been shared in our relationship or to us. And I just think that that's, again, something that God has done um, in us and through us, and we're so thankful for that. Another one, and this is maybe sounds a little creepy, but I have never had someone accuse me of something serious, something that's serious that I didn't do. I have never had to spend a lot of energy diffusing accusations. Yeah, there's been weird little gossip things out there, uh, like the one that went around a few years ago that apparently Pastor Steve and I hated each other. Uh, not true. I don't start that, you know. Um, and there's been little things like that, but I have not had what some pastors who I've talked to who've had to spend just an enormous amount of energy arguing and fighting and rebuking and pushing back on accusations that were made about them or against them that were just not true. And so that says a lot about you as a church, and it says a lot, again, of God's faithfulness. This is one of those things that we often pray about, that there would be no distractors, that the focus would always be on Jesus, and that if there's conflict or things like that, that we could resolve them, but we could do them in a respectful kind of way. And so God has shown his faithfulness in this safety, in this protection, in so many, so many times and so many different ways in our lives. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 3, it says this, But the Lord is faithful. He will strengthen and protect us from the evil one. And we've seen this in our lives. God is faithful. Man, there's been times where there's been some big things in our lives where you could tell the devil was trying to attack our kids. You could tell the devil was trying to do turmoil, create turmoil in our home. And at that moment, just to go, to before, go before God and say, God, we know you are faithful and we come to you again and we are asking you, Lord, to take control of the situation. And time and time again, we've seen God do that in the most amazing way and we're very thankful for his faithfulness in us, to us in that area of life. When we had Simon and then Isabel and Madeline, I, Ike and I sometimes wondered how we do ministry with small children. Well, God already had a plan, and he gave us three children who fit right into our work. Right from the beginning, our kids were 100% part of the youth ministry. We took them to events and Bible studies, camps, meetings, and anywhere else that ministry was happening. Literally, really anywhere, honestly. And it doesn't work for everyone, and that's okay. But for us, God helped us to be able to do ministry as a family. I think back to when Simon was three months old. He was still really little, and it was time for Treasured Foundation, which was a, a big gathering of youth in Minneapolis, Minnesota. So it was about a 13-hour drive from here on a bus. We took a coach bus, and there Simon sat in the back with me. We had you know, our big group of 50 kids, and uh, I could you know, nurse Simon on the way, driving through the night, Great times, great memories. I think we also had to do some crazy stuff in a nasty bathroom in the Taco Bell along the way too. And good times, good memories. And even I remember all-nighters here. Some of you girls remember we'd be up in the youth room there and, you know, time to kind of go to sleep, which didn't happen much then. But I'd be curled up in the sleeping bag with the baby alongside me and, 
it worked out great, and uh, I hope you guys weren't bothered by it because it, it certainly worked for us. Um, we look at ourselves as a team, team hunger, right? Team hunger, yeah. We participate together, and we tell our kids that they are as much a part of doing the Lord's work as we are because they enable us to do it. And so our family is not perfect by no means, not at all. We just love Jesus, and we love his people, and we're available. So having said that, young children still demand a lot of care, right? Most of you know that, who've been around children or who have your own children. Uh, they take a lot of care, and they need a consistent bedtime routine. And so when we had three preschoolers, we had to cut back some of my time with the youth. And when I was a younger mom... There was a time where I seriously wrestled with letting go of youth ministry with Ike and staying home more with the kids. It came to a point where I was jealous of Ike that he got to be working with youth and go on exciting mission trips and exciting camps and fun times and moments where you would see kids' lives changed and there I was at home, you know, with my, with my little ones. Um, and I had, I had resentment there. And, uh, you know, I felt like I was stuck at home. Uh, in the evenings with my children. I've always enjoyed being Ike's partner in the church work, and I loved the students. I love children. I love youth so much. Um, so for me, it was a bit of a sense of loss when I had to pull back. And it was, that was really hard for me. That was a very, very hard time. And so at one point, I just begged God to give me a joy for my children and that I would have a love for my family ministry as much as I did for the youth ministry. Well, he did answer that prayer. Of course he did, because... He is faithful, and he loves families, and almost maybe too much because I really do love being with my kids now, so much so I, I'd, I'd pick being with my kids over coming to church, I think. Not only did he give me joy and love for my family, but he gave it in abundance. I no longer resented that Ike was going to youth or meetings, and I truly enjoy spending special time with my kids, and my children are a huge, great joy to me, and I love teaching them. Our family time at home is precious, and we cherish our shared moments together. I just want to say, I'm not sure if uh, I'm scanning the crowd here. I don't see them, but Henry and Susie Wall, I, if they're not here, that's fine. But I want to just say to Colin and Samantha and McKenna, you guys have been just a life support for our kids. I know there's been times where it's like, hey, guys, we got to go to church. And the question we would get is, are Colin and um, Samantha and McKenna going to be there? It's like, yep. Okay. And I was like, off they go. But man, so those little guys have done a great thing for our kids. Thank you so much. It hasn't always been easy. It hasn't always been fun. Um, there have been hard times and during these 15 years. Um, and I'm not going to share any details about stuff that was going on. But in that, during these 15 years, as you can understand, uh, there's been some difficulties. Um, and you know, in my first year, there was a lot of conflict in the sense of, trying to figure out how to, how to do this stuff, trying to figure out what I was doing. But as time went on, you know, there's different conflicts. Sometimes there was conflict with other people. Sometimes there was your own lack, your own, own failures. Um, and then other times there was just these deep valleys of just, you know, just difficulty uh, that, I went, that I went through. Um, but even through these hard times, again, God has been faithful. We read in Matthew chapter 11, verse 22, it's, Jesus says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. What an amazing comfort to know that in those difficult times, we can go to Christ, we can go to Him, and yeah, the difficulty may not disappear, um, the problems may not be automatically resolved, 
But this idea of rest, Psalm 62 again, it says, Find rest, O my soul, in God alone. It's just a beautiful thing of saying, I'm going to just go before God because I just need the rest. Um, what an amazing promise for all of us in those times when we are tired. The year 2005 to 2006 uh, were probably, um, to this to date, uh, my, the most difficult years that I had here at, a, at, my, at this church. Uh, my soul was tired. I was, uh, you know, in desperate need of rest. Um, and I often found myself just wanting to just curl inward. I wasn't the husband and the father I was supposed to be for my kids. Uh, I wasn't interacting with people the way I should have. And I want to read to you just briefly uh, what I wrote back in 2006 about my experience during that time. And here's what I wrote. As a youth pastor, I got caught up in doing for Jesus. I neglected my own time with Christ. I prayed less and less. I stopped having moments with God. My scripture reading really happened as I was preparing for sermons or Bible studies. I became conscious of the physical and emotional needs of people while not seeing their spiritual needs. Most people didn't know it because I was, you know, because they couldn't really tell how, how I was. People may, made comments like, you don't smile like you used to, or you really look tired. I saw busyness as a sign that I was spiritual. Inside I was hurting, I felt guilty, I was ashamed, I hated the state I was in, and the biggest reason for keeping it as a secret is because I felt completely alone. A pastor should not feel this way. That's how I felt. I just felt like as a pastor, you're supposed to always be on a spiritual high. And so here now, I was the one who was in a deep spiritual valley and I didn't know how to get out. Here's the question that I asked myself back in 2006. How could this happen? Why would a youth pastor who is serving the church and God, helping people through some incredibly difficult circumstances, suddenly be in a black hole with no one there to help him out? Very simply... The youth pastor stopped growing, stopped searching, became distracted, was hurt and wounded, and didn't receive the soul care that he needed. This was the condition that we found ourselves in in 2006, and uh, this is what prompted me to go to our board at that time and say, I need a break, I need a rest. And so the board uh, gave me a three-month sabbatical. And so I went to Briarcrest Seminary during that, those three months just to take some more courses. And this is where I met a man by the name of Mar uh, Marv Penner. And Marv just became this mentor for me. And he was a man who had had at that time 35 plus years, or 35 years I believe, uh, ministry experience. And so when I went to Marv and I said, here's what's going on in my life, man, he saw way beyond what I was telling him. And he was able to dig around in my life and point me to things that I needed to change. At Briarcrest, I can truly say that I fell in love with Jesus again. And it was this moment in my life where I just said, okay, I, I gave everything I had. I told God I would do everything that he wanted to me, me to do. But at that time, I was so naive. I didn't know some of the pain that would be part of that decision. But now I knew a little bit more of that, the pain that some of that and some of the shortfallings in my own life and working with people and all that and I just remember at Briarcrest saying, Jesus, I'm in again. I love you. And you probably saw this picture. This doesn't mean much to you, but this means a lot to me. This was just um, Saskatchewan. There's just nothing there. And I remember when we showed up at our house, our, our real estate, I mean our real estate, our landlord said to us, um, in Saskatchewan, your elbow has breathing room. 
Your soul, thank you. Your, your soul has elbow room. See why I need her? Um, and, and it just became so true. It, it was just us going for long walks in the prairies and not seeing anybody for like a whole day. Um, during the three months, no more, than, no more than 11 phone calls. What a beautiful thing. I truly believe that if this church had not allowed me that uh, um, sabbatical, that I would have been one of the statistics that you often hear about pastors. Pastors who are tired, pastors who are stressed out, pastors who are defeated and weary, pastors who resign from ministry never to go back. And when you listen to the stats that are out there of pastors who resign, most never last more than five years or so, and most never go back to ministry. So I want to say to you, thank you. Thank you for letting me go and rest. And for us as a family to rest. And I can never say thank you enough. I know that there was people on staff here who had a take on a lot of extra burdens and there were different people in youth ministry who took on a lot of extra work during our three time in three months away but that was truly life-changing for us and I want to thank you for allowing God to be faithful to us by giving us that time God has also been faithful in providing grandparents for our children six days before Isabel was born Ike's parents moved to Bolivia as missionaries and since my parents live in Winnipeg, that left us with no grandparents for Simon and our new baby girl. So again, God showed himself faithful in sending two couples to us as adoptive grandparents. And uh, they chose us. We didn't choose them. Uncle Ben and Auntie Judy had young adult and teenage sons, and they so graciously took our little ones under their wings. Auntie Judy loved to cuddle our babies and to give them some grandma love. And Uncle Ben would play with our toddlers for hours on end. And they did this only out of love for us and our children. There were many Wednesday nights when they would babysit while we led youth Bible study. Not to mention the multitude of tea parties and sleepovers, brownies, and Garfield movies. Justina and Corny Rempel. They were our other grandparents. Justina willingly babysat first Simon, and then Simon and Isabel, and then Simon, Isabel, and Madeline. And... She did that once or twice a week for a couple of years. She never complained, and we always knew that we could count on her. And she probably didn't get paid very well either. I was reminded of that this week. Thanks to her, my children were spoiled with fresh homemade buns and pawn. And now they have a weird love for strawberry jam on their macaroni and cheese. <laughs> Thank you, Ben and Judy, and Justina and Corny, for being obedient to Jesus' calling and for loving us and our children. There are so many other ways that God has shown himself faithful to us over the last 15 years. But it's not all about us this morning, as Ike was saying earlier. Ike and I want this to be a time when each of us can reflect on God's faithfulness in our own lives. And you'll have your own moments, your own stories, your own memories of when God showed his faithfulness to you. The Bible says that the Lord is faithful to all his promises and loving to all he has made. I have found this to be true in my life, and I have no doubt that you will find the same as you consider yours. We could tell a lot of stories, um, and that, uh, you know, we could be here a long time. Um, and so just to kind of wrap this up, uh, again, we want to say thank you to you. Uh, we obviously want to give God all the credit for what he has done in our lives. 
One of my favorite Bible stories is found in 1 Kings chapter 18. Uh, this is a story when Elijah meets up with King Ahab, and uh, he's going to meet with King Ahab and all the people of Israel on Mount Carmel. And if you don't know the story, um, read it for yourself. It's, a, it's an amazing story, but just a little bit of background. The people of Israel have gone from worshiping God, they have shifted over to worshiping Baal. And uh, they have these prophets uh, that, that, you know, obviously um, help the people in that. And so these people have completely turned from God. And so God has sent uh, a famine into the land. It hasn't rained for three some years. And three and a half years, I believe. And, and so there's this deep famine in the land. And Ahab is out looking for Elijah because instead of taking responsibility for his actions, he's blaming Elijah and he's saying, it's because of you, Elijah, that there's this famine in the land. And so Elijah meets up with Ahab, or he has Obadiah go meet with Ahab, and he says, I want you and all the people of Israel, I want to meet you up on Mount Carmel, and we're going to have a little barbecue, and we're going to have a little showdown, and we're going to decide, and we're going to show once and for all who is the true God. And so they set everything up, and they get their altars made, they put all the wood, and then Elijah makes this rule. He says, no human can light the fire. The true God is going to light the fire. And so then he says to the prophets of Baal, go ahead, pray to your God Baal, and pray that he will send fire, and if he sends fire and it you know, burns up the sacrifice, then we know that Baal is God. But if not, and if my God, the God of Isaac, Abraham, and Jacob... Um, then we know that he is God. And so they, prophets of Baal, there's 450 of them, they start going crazy, and they literally, they get intense. They start you know, cutting themselves and slashing themselves, and they go on for hours and hours and hours, but of course nothing happens. And finally Elijah puts an end to it, and he, and he calls all the people together, and he says, okay, come, come close, I'll, I want you to listen in. And he says these, this prayer, and I, it just goes something like this. He prays and he says, God, for the sake of these people, would you light this thing on fire and show these people that you are truly God? And fire falls from the sky. They had dumped a bunch of water on it just at um, Elijah's command. The, the Bible tells us that the fire, the flames, lipped, licked up the water. By the time they were done, there was nothing left. And then Elijah, because it hadn't rained in a long time, he sends a servant out and he says, hey, I want you to go check to see if there's any rain coming. Seven times he has to send this guy back. Elijah was persistent. Seven times he sends him back. The seventh time the servant comes back and he says, guess what, there's a cloud in the distance the size of my hand. What proof is that? But for Elijah, that was enough to go straight to the king and say to the king, you better get home, it's going to rain. And then it says the Holy Spirit came upon Elijah and he ran ahead of the chariot all the way home. Now I want you to think about that for a moment. If that was your day, well, how would you go to bed that night? You'd be like, yeah, baby, I got this. No matter what comes my way, I got this. Well, guess the next thing that came Elijah's way was the queen, Jezebel. And she found out that Elijah had killed all these prophets. And so she sends word to Elijah and she says, What you did to my prophet is what I'm, prophets is what I'm going to do to you. I'm going to have you killed. And he, Elijah runs. And it says in the Bible that he was afraid and he ran. And he hides in these mountains. 
and he prays that God would just take his life because he just can't handle it anymore. And to skip some of the story, what we read there is that God, you know, um, asked Elijah some questions, and God brings Elijah to this cave. And in this cave, all these different things happen, but each time it tells us that in those things, God was not there. But then there was this quiet whisper, and it says that in that whisper was the voice of God. And in this time, God reveals his faithfulness to Elijah. And this is what God says to Elijah. Elijah, you didn't know it, but I have 7,000 people reserved who have never bowed the knee to Baal. See, Elijah, you thought everybody had, but there's 7,000 people who have not. Now, we don't have the dialogue here, but I wonder if it could have gone something like this. I wonder if Elijah would have been like, what are you talking about? Why didn't you tell me? This would have been great information to know. Man, God, when I felt all alone, wouldn't it have been great if you would have told me this? 7,000 people and you kept that quiet from me? I wonder if God's response to Elijah would have been, why would I need to tell you? It's not your story, it's my story. And sometimes in life, I want to remind us that this is not our story, folks. This is God's story. And one of the things about being a leader and one of the things about being a Christian is sometimes we are so afraid to fail. Because if we fail, we'll look ridiculous. And so we'll say things like this. We cannot move ahead on this project until we've ironed out all the wrinkles. Meaning we'll do nothing. We can't move ahead on this until we know exactly what could all go wrong. And we, we could potentially sit on our hands forever. Because there are some things you will not know until you take that step. And then all of a sudden it's like, ah, now with that experience, now I see it. I didn't before. My little saying in my life is this. I would rather fail at doing something than succeed at doing nothing. I would rather fail at doing something than succeed at doing nothing. I remember way back, you know, way, way, way back in the early years when we, we did our congregational singing, and I'm not making fun here, but this is what it was back then. A guy would come to the front with a hymn book, and he would say, any favorites? And someone would shout out a favorite, and we would sing that song. And then someone else would say, you know, and he's anyone else? And someone else would shout out a song, and we would sing that song, did two songs. And then for closing, same thing, any favorite? And then there'd be another favorite. It wasn't like that every time. And I remember one day just like, this is just, man, there needs to be more of a flow. And, and I talked to the pastor here at that time. And, and I remember one day, you know, after my sermon, I planned, I'm going to lead singing. I had played guitar for about four months. And I said, I'm going to lead singing. You know, not that I thought I could do it better, but I just want this song to tie into my sermon. And it was a song by Paul Oakley. And man, I'd heard Paul Oakley do the song, and man, he had this deep voice. And somehow in my head, when I pictured singing that song, I was going to sound like Paul Oakley. And so I got up there, and I knew four chords at that time. G, C, D, E minor. You can sing any song with four chords. If you're doing punk or country music, you just need two, and you'll be all right. You know, that's all you need. And then you can do the fancy, you know. Okay, never mind. All you country lovers are like, are you insulting sacred music? Um, yes, I am. But I remember that day, I'm like, I'm going to lead singing this, this morning. And I got up there, 
And I started strumming, and I started singing, I love you, Lord, I worship you. And then I realized I'm not changing chords because I was so nervous. I just stayed on G the whole time, and the congregation was looking at me like, uh, this is kind of hard to sing along, Ike. And then we had overheads in those days. You know you, the big bulb that shines against the wall? Any of you guys remember those things? Well, if you put the overhead on there just wrong, it's perfect for us dyslexic people because it's like all backwards. But I typed out the lyrics because in those days you just didn't have technology like this. And I typed out the lyrics. We put it on an overhead. Well, I made a little spelling mistake. Um, it was, instead of I love you, Lord, it was I lover you, Lord. And um, it really freaked a lot of people out. And they're just like, I'm not singing this new contemporary music. It's just, we didn't even know what emergent was, but that was too emergent for most people. And, and it was just an epic, epic, epic failure. And man, I went home that day and just like, oh my goodness, that did not go well at all. But guess what? A few weeks later, I decided I would lead singing for the entire church, all of it. And I got up there with my guitar, and again, I apologize, some of you had to sit through that. But you see, I realized that we needed to do something. And at that moment, it was like, you know what, if we fail, we're going to get better. And so we did it, just me and my guitar. And then one day, I decided, hey, I need a band. Every good musician needs a band. And so I got a band together, Ike and Jen. You know, they weren't married then, but Ike and Jen, Ike played drums, and Jen helped us singing because it needed it. Um, my brother Bill played bass guitar, and Dale Weeb uh, played electric guitar. And man, did we rock. But I will never forget our first, our first practice, where the drummer in the band said, Ike, your timing is awful. You know, you're coming in way late, you're starting this, you're, you're not doing it right. And it was just very, very difficult. But we worked at it and worked at it and worked at it. And we started singing these, we went on tour, people. We went on tour, you know. And we would go to other churches and God just did things through this. Why? Because we were willing to fail. And I can say without a question, as a result of that, Another man came forward by the name of Henry Wall, and he started leading singing in this church, and boy, did he do a lot better job of it. And then another guy came forward by the name of Aaron Heinrichs, led us this morning, and boy, did he do a lot better job than I did. But it was out of this saying, you know what, this is something that needs to be done, but maybe I'll fail, but I'm going to, you know, do all I can because I can't just be afraid to fail and do nothing. So folks, sometimes you may find yourself in a situation where you're like, something needs to be done. Don't be afraid to do things even if you think that maybe it'll go wrong. I love what Craig Rochelle says. He says, sometimes church people say, you know, failure is not an option. And in their church, he says, failure is mandatory. Because the learning that you do after you failed. I would say this, God's faithfulness is never as sweet as it is during that moment when you've messed up. And then you realize, even though you've messed up, God is still faithful. I'm obviously not talking here about going and purposely making mistakes. But when you've given it your all, and then you mess up, there comes God and just in a faithful kind of way says, it's all right. So I want to just thank you so much for your support over these years. And I trust that as we move forward, we're not going to get it always, you know, we're not going to always get it right. But as we move forward, that we would be willing to say, hey God, this is not our story. This is your story. 
And so when we're running and hiding in a cave, forgive us, God, but show us again your faithfulness. Show us again your mercy. Show us again your grace because we want to accomplish your story. At this time, I'm going to ask the, the board's going to come up and they want to, I asked them that they would come and do a prayer for us and ask my kids to come up as well. And uh, we made a little something uh, for you, and so Maria's just going to quickly explain that to you before, as the board and my family comes up. Okay, while the board comes up, we just wanted to say our family has made a treat for everyone here today. So on your way out the door, please grab one or two cake balls. We spent yesterday making them for you. They're vanilla, and they're peanut-free, so completely safe as well. And we just hope you enjoy them. And the main thing that we wanted to say through them is just thank you, uh, for being our church family and for loving us and accepting us. And, and we want you to feel special as you eat them. So grab at least one or two. We made, we made lots. So there's plenty to go around. All right. Well, it's been a wonderful journey this morning, Ike and Maria, that you've taken us on down memory lane. And uh, it's been good. It's been a, it's, God has been faithful, absolutely. And there has been tough times, like you, like you mentioned. And a lot of us that are here have journeyed with you. Mm-hmm. And uh, we, we're just blessed that we could share this journey with you. Uh, we understand, though, as a family, you are planning a trip to Chicago. Is that true? Uh, coming up? November. In November, right? So as a church, as a board, uh, on behalf of the church, we want to... We want to give you this certificate that will help you cover the cost of your stay in Chicago as a, as a gift. Thank You're you very welcome. much. And I think Judy, Judy, you have a gift there as well. So this gift is from us ladies to Maria. Um, Maria, in, in the first service I mentioned how you always look... Um, for the good in other people and how you encourage us to do the same. But another gift that you have is you give a lot of gifts with your spoken word and also with your written word. Um, I don't know how many of us, and I'm sure lots of us, have received a note from you in your special handwriting using your gel pens and always with one of those pointy hearts. So we can always tell before we even open it that it's from you. And so I just thank you for that. This is a book. It's called 1,000 Gifts, and I'm sure you've given more than 1,000 gifts. And um, so it's just a small token of our appreciation, and I hope you enjoy it and add it to your library. All right. As As a board, on behalf of the church, we just want to pray for this family. And I will pray specifically for Maria and the children. And Pastor Henry is going to pray for for Ike in the ministry. Let's pray together. Father God, we come before you today, and we just thank you. We thank you for your faithfulness, for how you've blessed us, how you've blessed Ike and Maria, and in this ministry, in this church. As they've spread your word and as they've shone your light in in many places and uh, and just brought... uh, brought your word and brought your goodness and your mercy and your faithfulness to to many that have never heard that before. We just thank you so much. We thank you specifically for Maria and the children, for Simon, for Isabel, for Madeline. We just ask that you would just continue to give them strength 
as they uh, continue to support Ike in this ministry, because they're a part of it. It's not just Ike. And we just know that, that Ike could not do what he does unless there's this support network around him, specifically with his family. Mm-hmm. We just thank you so much. We ask that you would give Maria strength when she needs it, uh, as a mom, as a wife, as a pastor's wife. We just, we just know that it isn't always easy. As she shared, there were times when, uh, when there was this uh, feeling in her heart of, of almost resentment. And we just ask that you would protect from that and that, that she would feel uh, your love that, that, that pours in when she, she doesn't know uh, how, to, how to feel good about something. That, that your love, Father God, would, would pour into her life and give her what she needs. And we just ask that you would also protect the children for Simon, for Isabel, for Madeline, as they go to school. And I understand they're making a transition this year. I know it's not easy. But, Father God, give them the strength and the courage to, to face this change in their life. We just thank you so much for them. And we know that you will bless them and, and undertake for them when, when they don't, just don't know how to do this uh, thing on their own. Because they can't. They can't do this thing on their own. They need you, Lord, and we just know that you're there for them, and we thank you so much for, for the blessing they've been to this church in our, in our lives. We just pray all this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Before I pray, I'd like to read one verse of Scripture that we find in the 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58. And this is just an affirmation of what Ike and Maria have shared about God's faithfulness. And here it says, Therefore, my dear brothers, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. And so let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we are indeed grateful today for your faithfulness. Mm -hmm. We know that you have been with this church since its inception. You have always provided leaders. And we thank you, Lord, for the leadership that we have seen in Ike. And we pray that you will continue to help him. We pray that you will bless him. We pray that uh, especially for his personal life, At this time, Father, we want to ask you that he could be uh, growing in you and that the experience that he had in Saskatchewan will be repeated, where he will again and again feel renewed and edified and encouraged and strengthened in the faith Mm -hmm. and keep on going without ever giving up. Father, we know that Satan rests, does not rest, even though he is... uh, Even though Ike has been here 15 years and we might think that he is well established and that he's strong, we know that Satan is not going to leave him alone. Mm -hmm. And so we pray that you will build a strong hedge of protection around him and give him insight in those moments when Satan attacks and also, Father, the ability to say no and to quote scripture Mm -hmm. and to walk the ways that you have for him. And I ask you also for him as a family man. I ask you that you will continue to give him strength with, uh, with his children as uh, the challenges arise, that he will stand firm 
and know exactly what to do in terms of discipline, that the discipline will be right, that he will be a, a father who can show love in the discipline. And Father, we pray that his children will grow up to become instruments of yours yes. in the kingdom of God as well. And then we pray for his church life, Father. You know that he has contact with so many people. And we pray that the criticism that he receives, he will be able to deal with in a proper manner. And that in, in all of that, he will continue to look to you for the, for the guidance that you alone can give. Mm -hmm. That he will have an answer for those who ask, mm -hmm. but answers that come from you. Yes. And so we ask you, Father, bless him, bless his family. Bless this church as we continue to work together, and may your name be honored and glorified and praised. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Um, thank you so much, guys, for praying for us, and uh, this board and other boards have been such a huge support. I'm going to just give my kids a chance to get out there. We're not going to have a closing song, because it's, uh, it's time, unless you really want to. <laughs> it's lunchtime, right? So we'll give these guys a couple of seconds just to get out there, and then uh, thank you so much for allowing us just to share our story today, and uh, yeah, God bless you. Have a wonderful, wonderful week.